0: Thank you for joining us today. The following is a message from North Place Church. Our hope is that it will inspire you, uplift you, and bring you closer to Christ. If you'd like to watch the video of this message, visit our website at northplacechurch.com watch. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to join me in the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. And uh, if you have a digital device, you can get there, your uh, traditional copy of the Word of God, or it will be on the screens to assist you. There is no other place that shows you how closely God identifies with our pain than Isaiah chapter 53. This is a messianic prophecy by Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, prophetically declaring how he would come and what his life would accomplish, what it would look like. And I want us to look at that together because there's nowhere in the Bible, in my opinion, that shows how God identifies with our pain any more than this passage of Scripture. Isaiah 53, 1 says this, Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience... My righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels, he bore the sins of many, and interceded for rebels. A couple of weeks ago, while in prayer, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart about the preaching topic for this weekend. And it was connected to one of the three main core values of North Place Church, Christ, community, and compassion. And everything that we do at North Place is an overflow of one of those commitments to experience Christ, to experience community, and to experience compassion. And today, the focus was to be on that core value of compassion, more specifically, how that core value and how that conviction has led us to address the pain in broken people's lives in multiple ways that we serve, but even more specifically, why we are doing what we are doing this summer to address pain and abused, at-risk, and abandoned children both at home and literally around the world. For those of us that are new at North Place or just a reminder, this was going to be a message this weekend of why compassion is important to us, why we invest so liberally the way we invest in people's pain. This was going to be a conversation about that. And after the tragic events that have unfolded this week across our nation and right here in our own city in the last 72 hours, I knew because as a pastor, you just know The Holy Spirit helps you know through the gift of discernment that this moment has to be shepherded. You don't ignore it, you address it. So I started heading a different direction than what I had originally planned and started crafting carefully a statement for this weekend to address the issues that seemed to be unraveling the social fabric of our nation. A statement that would address these issues in a biblical framework and a Christian worldview. And as I started carefully crafting that statement, it was as if the Lord rebuked me. Now, I've never heard an audible voice in my life, but I felt this whisper in my spirit where the Lord said, I've already told you what to say. The message I had originally planned to preach was to be called the place of pain in the story of God. And I just assumed I would move that sermon down to next weekend, and this weekend I would address the issues of the last 72 hours, but it was as if the conversation about pain in the story of God was the biblical statement to address the issues of the last 72 hours. So before we specifically talk about what's happening in our nation, let me lay a theological foundation Regarding the topic of pain. But before we jump in deep on the topic of pain, I have to be honest with you pain is not my thing. I don't enjoy pain. I don't like pain. I don't have a high pain tolerance when it comes to physical pain. I avoid pain at all costs. When I was a kid, I hated to go to the doctor to get shots and they used to have to trick me to even get me into the building. And when it finally dawned on me why I was at the doctor's office, I was running around, my mom was chasing me, the nurses were chasing me, I ran through the waiting room. I mean, I literally, it was a roundup when I realized that I was there for my shots. They had to hold me down. And that was just last week. No, I'm just, just kidding. <laughs> I don't like pain. Now, I know all the things they said to me while they were holding me down or chasing me through the hallways of that little doctor's office in that small town. I know all the stuff they were saying to me. I know they meant well, but it was some of the stupidest things I ever heard. And, and these are the things I heard running down the hallway as they're chasing me. This is for your good. It's going to make you better. It won't hurt long. It'll be over quick. And the all-time dumbest thing I ever heard is it's just going to be like a bee sting. Oh, so that's going to make me dry my tears, set straight up, and say, "Let's do this thing," because I love bee stings. (laughs) Dumb. I don't like pain. And then I made a trip to the dentist for the first time, and everybody says it's no big deal. You know, this is no big deal. But somehow, the word in that little town from the doctor's office had made its way to the dentist office that I was a runner. And they baited me into the chair with candy. And as I laid down, they strapped me in, literally put belts over the top of me in the dental chair. And I knew this couldn't be good. And they're trying to soothe me while the dentist pulls up a power drill and begins to rev up a power drill. And in order to comfort the horror that was on my face in a very calm and soothing voice... He said, don't worry, Brian, I am going to give you something for your pain. I'm going to give you something so you don't feel this. And so I kind of relaxed. And then he pulls up a half-gallon syringe with a six-inch needle. Now, you explain that logic to me, how sticking a six-inch needle in my gums and holding it there for 30 minutes is supposed to soothe my pain. sense when it comes to pain. My parents didn't make sense when it came to pain because they always used to say, it's going to hurt me worse than it hurts you. Well, then be good to yourself today. You deserve it. Give yourself a break from all of that pain. and Leave me alone. I don't like pain. When I was a kid, one of the things other kids would do for fun is they would get together and take turns licking a nine volt battery. Now, you know you grew up in a small town when you have nothing else to do but lick batteries for something to do. I did it once and got shocked, and I never did it again. I was dumb once, but no thank you very much the second time. I don't like pain. And now that I've turned 40, I've noticed something really weird. And I'm going to need some of you that are way more mature than I am, that are a little further down the road, to help me with this. I wake up in the morning sore. How do you wake up sore? How do your muscles get sore just laying there? If I'm waking up with pain, it can't mean anything good. It looks like aging is going to increase my pain tolerance, but I still don't like pain. But for some reason, I have experienced more than my fair share of pain. Now, I've been talking lighthearted about physical pain, but I've experienced more than my fair share of the deep, deep pain, the pain of abuse and injustice and abandonment. And I think we do our best to avoid dealing with that kind of pain in our lives, just like we do our best to avoid the pain, physical pain. We flip, flip through the TV channels and at night and we see a commercial with starving children laying there lifeless in Africa, a bloated stomach. And flies buzzing around her eyes, and we quickly flip the channel because we just don't want to go there. We do whatever we can to mask that kind of deep, deep pain. I knew of a conversation at a church picnic between a pastor who recognized a teenage girl that was at the church. It was a rather large gathering at the picnic, and he didn't recognize her. And He started up a conversation with her, and obviously it was hot summer, so she had clothes on that exposed her arms and her lower legs, and there were scratches there. So as a way into the conversation, he just said, small talk, I see you must have a cat. And she said, no, I have a knife. It's the sad but real phenomena of cutting where someone with deep emotional pain harms themselves physically to temporarily mask the deep pain on the inside. Pain is a universal language. We all understand it. Some of us have experienced at deeper levels than others, but no one is immune to it. Regardless of your religious creed, your color, your nationality, or your economic standing, whether you come from the poorhouse or the penthouse, whether you're a preacher or a prostitute, everybody understands pain. So it shouldn't surprise us that when God was choosing to communicate his love to the world, he chose the language of pain. He could have chosen countless ways, a thousand different love languages to tell the world I love you, to show the world the human race that he loved us. And you would have thought that the God of the universe would have chosen any other way Then the way he chose, he bankrupts heaven, takes divinity, wraps it in fragile flesh. The Son of God becomes a man. And then he's mocked, spit on, beaten until he's unrecognizable a crown of thorns pressed into his skull through his blood-matted hair, a whip with jagged stones reaches around and grabs the front of his abdomen and is ripped until it exposes his rib cage. only to be laid on a wooden cross and have spikes driven into his hands and feet. And as the cross is raised and falls into a hole in the ground, the Savior of the world is crushed and suffocates over time under his own weight. And all of it is the strangest of ways for God to say to the human race, I love you. Every drop of blood, every nail, every splinter, every thorn, every cry of agony was the way the God of heaven and earth communicated through pain the words, I love you. And of all the ways he could have said it, why did he say it that way? Because if he would have come... Any other way, he would have left somebody out. There was only one way he could come to this earth... That every person that would ever be born from all time, of all tribes, of all nations, would be able to understand that physical imagery and physical expression of love. We are so diverse, we are so different, we come from so many different perspectives. If he would have picked any of the other thousands of love languages, it would have left somebody out. But to come with an expression of love through indescribable pain is something every human being that has ever lived and will ever live, all people of all times from all places can understand because we all understand the language of pain. Look back at Isaiah's statements that we read a moment ago in verse 2 and 3 of Isaiah 53. It says, there was nothing beautiful or majestic About his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. The message paraphrase says there was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. I think it's important for you to understand that when God decided to change the world, he didn't send the king of the ages into the world with splendor and majesty. He sent him here in a very unassuming way. He could have been born into an elite family of great influence, great wealth, and great fame. But then only the elite would identify with God. And yet he chose to become the son of a carpenter who worked with his hands to provide for his family. He lived among the common people of his time. And Ruth Johnson captures the humble simplicity of his life when she writes, Jesus was born in an obscure village as the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpentry shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. Yet, he shook the world at its foundation and became the savior of us all. How? How did somebody from such simple and humble beginnings become the savior of the world? because of pain, because he spoke a love language in his expression of love to the human race that every single one of us, pauper or prince, can identify with. Now, we have to understand this. This is the way it worked. We were all originally made in the image of God. Okay? Key word is made, in the image of God. We were all originally made in the image of God. That's the way God designed us. We have the fingerprints of God upon our lives, every one of us. But sin came into the world. And every one of us since then have been marred by sin. There's not a person in this room that is not living with the consequences of their own sinful choices. There's not a person in this room that is not reeling from the pain of the injustice and the sins that have been committed against them by other people. We have all been marred by sin. We live in a world ever more knowledgeable about it now than we were. But every day seems to unveil the how the human race has been marred marred by sin but the good news of the gospel comes in because because God sent his son wrapped him in fragile flesh so he could identify with our pain he communicated his love to us in a language that we could understand he became one of us so he could weep with us so he could hurt with us so he could identify with us so no longer were we just made in the image of God and marred by sin that's not the end of the story that's where the story stops in our culture but that That's not the end of the story. What has happened to so many of us in this room is we have now been remade by grace. And that's the most powerful part of our story. Not that we were made in the image of God. Not that we were marred by sin. The power of the gospel is that we have been remade by grace. That's the message of the gospel. God redeeming pain. Transforming nations and communities through grace. It's the story of God. A God who understands your pain and communicates his love to you in a pain you can identify with. And he has promised to take take the pain of our own lives our own brokenness and turn it into something beautiful and a god who can do that in our lives can do that in our communities and he can do that in our nation he can take brokenness and make it beautiful as a 16 year old kid when i surrendered my life to the call of ministry i was worried about my future i wanted to be a medical doctor I had a dream of going to Vanderbilt University for pre-med, which was a school that was beyond my family's financial capabilities, so I was doing everything I could to get scholarships into medical school at Vanderbilt University when the Lord just radically changed my life and called me into ministry. And I didn't go to Vanderbilt. I ended up going to an unaccredited seminary. My teachers thought they had wasted their time investing in me, that I was throwing my life away. And sometimes I heard those voices and I was concerned about my future. And while in one of the altar services at chapel at that unaccredited seminary that actually is no longer in existence now, I knelt across an altar and I was worried about my future and the Lord spoke something to my heart in those altars that has shaped my entire life. And this is what he said, if you will give your life to hurting people, you will never be without a job. I wrote that down, and I've lived by it. It was in that moment I made a commitment to invest my entire life in broken people. Because I understand brokenness, abandonment, injustice. It was out of that conversation the commitment we made to serve hurting people is what ultimately birthed the camps we've been running for the last six years for abused kids. It was out of that conversation that a commitment was made that ultimately affected this church's commitment to serve underserved communities and pastors in the rural context. It was out of that conversation the vision was launched to create a prom for special needs children in our school district. It was out of that conversation that shaped the core value of compassion, that has moved our church to engage in the prisons and and in shelters all across the Dallas-Fort Worth area. It has become a part of who we are because I believe if a church will invest its time and resources in broken people, it will never close its doors. A church that does, when you see churches dying and when you see churches closing their doors or shrinking, it is usually because they became inward focused at some point. Their needs became more important than the needs around them and they became internally focused. I can promise you this, if you go after the ones nobody wants, God will give you the ones everybody wants. And if you go after the ones nobody wants, God will provide the resources when you engage in where his heart is engaged. the church is a spiritual hospital not a religious country club or social gathering. Triage is supposed to happen here. Recovery is supposed to happen here. Brokenness is healed here. This is a spiritual emergency room where the bleeding and the broken come for hope. They are craving a God who can really understand their pain and they're looking for a group of people who reflect the heart of God that they are longing to connect with and we have to commit to continue being those people and continue being that place. So on that theological foundation, let me shift gears for a moment and speak to current events. I had a conversation that helped me over the last couple days gain perspective. Our former staff pastor and good friend, Pastor Mike Johnny, those of you that have been with us a long time have a deep affection for Mike. Mike. He reached out to some of us in the last few days to pray for him. He had been asked in the aftermath of all that's going on in Dallas in the face of the tragedy to speak on a panel in front of church and city leaders and community activists as a black male on that panel. And he asked us to pray for him, that he would be honest and authentic, biblically centered and honor Jesus in the process. But he made a statement in the conversation with him that stuck out to me. We all had our words for Mike, but, and I told him I believed, like Esther, he was born for such a time as this. But in that conversation, he made a statement to me, and I, I wrote it down. He said, I haven't been this scared to walk outside since September eleventh, two 2001. Most of us in this room aren't young black men and we'll never understand the feelings that Mike and young black men have because we see the world through our own filters. Mike is not some guy on the news that a reporter stuck a microphone in front of his mouth. He's not taking advantage of the moment. He's not caught up with excessive emotion. Mike is my little brother, a man that I have walked with who's in his early 30s since he was a 17-year-old junior in high school. He doesn't overreact. He's very intelligent. He's level-headed. I love him and I trust him. If he feels that way, it's real. And his statement made me realize I have no idea what they feel, and they being anybody that's not like me. As I read through the updates from some of the wives who attend North Place Church, whose husbands are police officers, and they were on duty in the middle of the shootings in downtown Dallas, while other people were running away, they were running toward the fire, I realize that we have no idea what they feel. I'll never fully understand what it means to be something other than a white male. and the recent issues, I'll never understand what it means to be a young black man in America. I'll never understand what it is to be a police officer who risks their life every day. I'll never understand what it means to be a spouse of a police officer who wonders every time they walk out the door if they're not coming home today. But I do understand pain. I understand abandonment. I understand injustice. I understand abuse. I don't understand a lot of those things. And part of an authentic conversation and finding common ground begins with the acknowledgement, I don't understand. Just being able to authentically acknowledge that and say I have opinions that are based on my filter and I understand that your filter may cause you to see it different ways. I, I literally I don't get it, but I want to I weep with you when you weep, and I, wanna, I want you to help me understand. I do understand pain. I've been raped repeatedly by a sexual pervert. I've been abandoned by my father for a significant season of my life. And that pain of abuse, injustice, and abandonment is where I find common ground with a whole lot of other people I don't have anything else in common with. There are a lot of statements that have been made and will be made in the coming days by more qualified people than me to address these issues. And yes, it's true. The evil of stereotyping young black male should not be answered by the evil of stereotyping every white cop. But our world needs more than obvious answers and reactionary cliches. And in my humble opinion, we have to work to find something common. And that common ground beyond Jesus, that common ground is our... Pain. We all feel it. We are all human. It is what connects us in this race that we call humanity. Our pain is the passport that gives us access into other people's lives. I may not understand what it means to be black American or Asian American or Hispanic American. I don't understand the battles that Hispanic Americans face with the immigration. I see it through my filter, but they feel it through their filter, and those feelings are very real. And while I sit on my side because of the news station I watch and the political party I affiliate with causes me with emotion to fuel that, somewhere along the way there has to be something more and deeper than that that connects me. And the one thing that connects me with them where I don't understand is pain. I know injustice. I know abandonment. So let's talk about pain. Let's talk through the platform our own pain. Let's find some identity there that we can connect with. There was a priest named Father Damien who was sent to be a missionary to lepers on the Hawaiian island of Molokai in the 1800s, and his ministry nearly ended before it ever got started. He ended up every week in the early days beginning his sermon this way, you lepers. Molokai was the place they sent all the lepers to protect the mainland and the other islands in the area and... The colony there, the Catholic Church took care of them, and Father Damon was the one sent. But as an outsider looking in, his sermons began, you lepers, a handful of people would come and gather around the chapel. And one day, Father Damien was making his rounds around the island, walking and caring for the lepers, and came back home after walking on foot and stuck his feet in a hot pan of water, and he couldn't, he couldn't fill the water. So he reached his hand down there, and the water scalded his hands, and he realized he too had now become a leper. So that Sunday, he got up in the pulpit, and instead of saying, You lepers, he said, We lepers. And there was a significant shift in that moment. When Father Damien became somebody from the outside looking in, he became somebody who identified with the pain of the community that he had been called to serve. There was some commonality that united them and to this day there is an order that is connected to Father Damien. History records who he is and it almost forgot who he was because he was an outsider looking in but unexpectedly there was a commonality that was found that increased his impact and if I could be so bold as to say today whether we are white or black or civilian or law enforcement or rich or poor or whatever we We are all lepers. We all feel pain. We have to find the common ground on what it is to be human and know that we serve a God who has the ability and has always addressed our pain, redeemed our pain, and he can redeem the pain of a city, the pain of a nation, in the same way he redeems our personal pain and trades in the ashes for beauty and the sorrow and the mourning flee away, that the weeping that has endured for the night will give way as joy comes in the morning. And as Joseph said, what others have meant for evil against me, you have meant for good because God is in the business of turning things around for his glory he can turn your pain around for his glory and he will turn this around for his glory if we will come together under his name and his banner we have a unique opportunity as a church to show our region a countercultural witness of what it means to love across racial lines North Place Church is not as racially diverse as I think it should be, but it's much more diverse than it used to be. And our diversity is an opportunity to be a witness. In a time of national disunity, God has called us to model unity, and in a time of fear, God has called us to be courageous. So many are fearful that the violence that is going on is a sign of the fracturing of the American social fabric, and that may be the case, but we have to understand we are part of a social order that transcends the American order. We are citizens of another country, and we talked about that last week, and because of that, regardless of what kindred tribe or nation we are from, we can display to our world a countercultural witness because our citizenship ultimately resides in an order that transcends America's social order. My heart stands against the unjust killing of anybody. My heart stands with men and women of our law enforcement who risk their lives every day to protect and serve. My heart stands with all of you on the platform of our shared pain. My heart stands with all of you who confess Jesus is Lord of your life because there is a tie that binds us stronger than any other tie on the face of this earth. C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us, in our pain. And when I hear that, I ask him, God, like the psalmist crying out in the psalms of lament, would you shout to us? Our city leaders need to hear you. Our national leaders need to hear you. Our pastors need to hear you. People need to hear you today. Would you shout to us in our pain? I want to leave you with this today. I tried to figure out how to, You know, this whole day was geared to the issue of how our heart for compassion and the gospel's understanding of pain and God's picture of pain and communication of love causes us to engage children the way we have and we will in the coming weeks. So I asked the Lord, how does all that fit? You know, I'm commissioning and yet in some ways I'm I'm, I'm supposed to pass through this moment. And I was reminded of a conversation on a completely different subject that I had when I was, first became a pastor. I was overwhelmed as the church grew and my first pastorate. And, um, there were more needs than what I had the capacity to meet and the hurts were deeper than I had the capacity to respond to. And I went to a mentor and I said, what do I do? You know, there's not enough of me to go around and I don't have enough emotional energy to spread it. I'm, I'm spread thin as it is. What do I do? And the man looked at me and he said, you're going to have to love the one you're with. He said, whoever God puts in front of you in that moment, give them all of your heart. You can't be present. You're not omnipresent. You're not omniscient. You're one man. But there is a capacity in you to love the one you're with and love the person that God puts in front of you with all of your heart in that moment and just trust that God will order your steps and don't look at the big picture. Look at the one you're with and love the one you're with with all your heart. Can you do that? And I said, yes, I can. I can do that. And so... That's how it went from being overwhelming to being manageable. Just love the one you're with at this moment. I reminded this week of that statement and those conversations with this issue. In the short term, I can't protect a police officer. In the short term, I can't protect a young black man from injustice. In the long term, there are certain ways I can engage to make a difference. But right now, all I can do is pray. Pray. But I can love the ones I'm with. And the one that he has put in front of me right now, the pain that is staring me right in the eye in the next 24 hours will be the pain of six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, and 12-year-olds. They're black, white, Hispanic, and Asian. And if we don't love them, they're going to be on the news because they're going to act out what's been committed to them. And this is our moment to engage the pain of humanity and love the ones we're with. Before we walk out the door today with a sense of burden and lament on our heart for our nation and our community, I want you to see just a little bit of how we engage these kids in the last few weeks To give you some idea how to pray for the next several days, watch this short video if you would. Hey, North Place, I just wanted to come to you on the morning of our last full day of camp and express deep appreciation to you for your generosity in making this week possible. The stories of children who are at this camp this week are probably a story of collective hurt, deeper pain, than any group of students we've ever hosted. I also have seen some amazing returns, some amazing breakthroughs in the lives of these kids. Some of them year to year, we actually have students that are with us this week who were some of the worst case scenario cases last year. The changes in them are amazing the cross of Jesus Christ has the power to forgive sin but he also he also has the power to heal the consequences of the sins that have been committed against these kids and your generosity your heart for this kind of thing allows the power of the gospel to impact these kids where the sins of other people have broken them and today they're being restored our hearts are full i know you would be proud As I walk across this campus as the pastor of North Place Church and I see the level at which our people are engaging, the way they're loving, the hurt, the heartache, uh, putting smiles on these kids' faces, sharing the love of Jesus, uh, it would make your heart proud. It would make you smile to see your family engaged the way they are. So today we give praise and honor to God, express our deep appreciation to you for your generosity, and our heart swells with them godly pride i guess in a sense for the heart of our people who serve the way they serve thank you would you stand with us all over this place today you know i just i want to open the altars today on a couple fronts just to invite you if you feel a burden or a tug or a need a want to just kneel around the front and pray Maybe the psalm of lament in your own heart. You want to pray for this country. You want to pray for this nation. Uh, I want to pray for our city. Then I want, to, I want to make this. When I say our city, I realize you know, we're located in Saxe. And um, there are so many of you that come from so many different places. But this region, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, if you want to pray uh, and just ask God to intervene. But there may be things in your own life, your pain. Joseph's pain was a hint to the problem he was called to solve. It was his pain that ultimately promoted him to the place. God will redeem your pain. The pain in my past has directed my life. What the enemy meant to destroy me, God has used it to propel me to define my entire life. And I believe God can redeem your pain to influence your purpose. And today maybe you need to spend some time with him in the altars about that. I just want want you to know these altars are open. We can come here and weep. We can come here for healing. We can come here for hope. This is our refuge. So Lord, would you bless them and keep them? Would you make your face shine down upon them? Would you be gracious to them? Would you turn your countenance their direction? And would you give them peace? Today, Lord, the pronouns are not just for North Place Church. It's not they and them. It's bigger than that. It's our community. It's our nation. And every time I pray that blessing, that benediction, it's a cry for peace. And if we ever needed it, we need it now. In Jesus' name, amen. These altars are open. Thank you for listening to this message from North Place Church. Feel free to share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NorthPlace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash NorthPlaceChurch. To watch the video of this message, go to northplacechurch.com slash watch.